All right, let's go on to the next patient. So this is a 78-year-old gentleman. He had originally been seen four years ago. He had some abdominal discomfort that had persisted for several months. Then he had an episode of GI bleeding that brought him to his primary care physician, subsequently to gastroenterologist. And he was found to have an adenocarcinoma in the ascending colon. This lesion at the time of resection was a T4N0 tumor. It was histologically grade 2. The tumor did perforate through the visceral peritoneum. The patient at the time, there was lengthy discussion about systemic therapy. And he said, I feel well, I'm fully active, I'm going to be leaving for Florida soon. And he agreed that he would continue with follow-up, but he didn't really want to go through any kind of treatment at all. He has been doing well. He's been vigorously active. He came back for a visit a few weeks ago. His CEA had gone from 4 to 12.8. He had a CT scan performed that showed a new lesion in the left hepatic lobe. And simultaneously, he had been being followed by urology. He does have an elevated PSA, but had a negative biopsy. His PSA had gone from 12 and then to 21. He had been on finasteride, but it stopped it. His biopsy was negative. He did have a bone scan that was also negative. So he's entirely asymptomatic. He feels very well. He has a CEA that has gone up to 12.8 and a corresponding liver lesion, which appears to be an isolated lesion in the left hepatic lobe. And just to clarify, you said his bone scan is negative, including the T10 area? Correct. Correct. That was felt to be just perhaps an arthritic type of change. Hmm. So you also have the intriguing issue of the PSA being elevated. What have you been thinking? So he's had a biopsy recently. He has very extensive BPH, and the urologist is attributing to that. And we talked about that a little bit today, that even if you took worst-case scenario, if there were an element of cancer there, he's still probably better off addressing the colon lesion. So what are you thinking about in terms of next steps? So we talked about a number of things. We talked about a hepatic resection. We talked about the fact that he'd never had chemotherapy and that you could consider giving him chemotherapy and then subsequently taking him to resection and that we needed to get a surgical input. And today was a very fruitful visit because up until now, he's been sitting on the fence about doing anything at all. He's playing a lot of golf. He's planning on going back to Florida. He's feeling well. And today was kind of a breakthrough moment that he kind of decided, I better do something about this. How exactly did that happen? Had he already decided that? He hadn't decided it. He was thinking about it. I think the fact that he saw the lesion on his CAT scan, I had the CAT scan up in the office, that didn't hurt. And I think that the fact that he said, well, you know, there's a lot of things about the PSA. The PSA can go up and it can go up for reasons that are unrelated to malignancy. Can that happen with the CEA? And we explained to him that the CEA was unlikely to be up because of anything other than malignancy, particularly given his liver lesion. What about doing a liver biopsy? That may well be the next step. I think part of what we want to do is make sure that he's going to be considered a candidate for a resection. But we did talk to him about getting a liver biopsy and about getting colonoscopy if he was going to go to surgery. So, Charlie, what were your reactions to him as a person and to this clinical situation? Well, he's an interesting guy. He's a retired dentist, obviously had been very successful and very thoughtful. But at the same time, I think he was, for lack of a better phrase, rationalizing, you know, with the idea of what else this could be. You know, if you could see his scan, and we actually all reviewed it together with him, this isn't anything but recurrent colon cancer. And I think he ultimately appreciated that fact that there really was no other good explanation for his CEA and this new liver lesion where Phil had been getting serial CT scans. It was clearly a new finding. And I think realizing what this was with certainty, 
you know, gave him a greater appreciation of the fact that he really had to do something about it. But what was interesting, his first approach was, I think both Phil and I were surprised, was, well, could I just do chemo alone? And I think if I had to have guessed, particularly because, you know, dentists sort of have a surgical mentality, I would have assumed he would say, well, I'll do surgery, but forget the chemo. In fact, it was the opposite. And I think we explained to him that he would likely need both, but surgery was essential. And that we said, you know, let's get you to a qualified liver surgeon, get the facts. And my guess is he will agree to the surgery. And I guess also this issue we touched on in terms of pre-op versus post-op therapy is going to be potentially a question down the line, assuming the surgeon says, yes, I can resect him, no problem. In him, Charlie, what would you be thinking about? I'd be happy to go either way. He's got an isolated lesion that I think, again, I'm not a surgeon, but looking at the CT, I think technically would be relatively easy to resect. I think he'd be able to do it with reasonable safety and success. So if the surgeon said, you know, let's get a PET scan, let's confirm that he doesn't have any extrahepatic disease, there's certainly no evidence of that on a CT scan, I'd be perfectly content if the surgeon wanted to take him to the OR first with an isolated lesion and then talk to him about post-op therapy. The other thing, and Phil actually made this point in clinic today, was that given the fact that he wants to winter in Florida, it might make sense to get the surgery done up here and then get your post-operative adjuvant therapy in Florida. Interesting. Hit the beach, you know, right. recover from, stay <laughs> right. out of the cold weather, huh? All yeah, right. better place to get oxaloplatin. <laughs> Anything else you want to say about this man, Phil? Yeah, just that today was a really productive meeting because I met with him about two weeks ago, knowing that Charlie was going to be coming today, and I was not making any headway. And I agree with Charlie that there was a lot of rationalization going on. And today, I think he crossed the Rubicon that, you know, he's got to do something and sooner the better. Just out of curiosity, if he had asked you, maybe he did ask you, Charlie, what's the chance with this kind of lesion, this kind of surgery? I'm 78 years old. You haven't mentioned any comorbidities. What's the chance that, you know, I'm going to have a serious problem going through this surgery? Well, he did not ask. And admittedly, we didn't get into it just because so much of the conversation was just trying to get to the point of realizing that surgery was needed. As you know, in high-volume centers with a qualified liver surgeon, you're talking about perioperative mortality that's under 5%. It's not trivial, but I think this guy has really no significant comorbidity. Despite his age, I think he'll do fine. And that also gets into who should be doing the surgery. Phil, how do you approach this in terms of where you send them? Well, there's two or three local surgical specialists who basically get all the hepatic type of work like this that I send people to. And then he's had a prior experience with family member going down to Boston, and he may opt for that as well. And I think, you know, to add on to Charlie's point, the other thing we talked about, the option of not doing anything and letting things run their course is just going to create a real issue in terms of his quality of life down the line. 